wise and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. I love spicy food. Like the, the spi- yeah, I've got an amen out there. I like it. Let's be, let's be kind of an amen kind of a church. Let's do that. The spicier, the better for me. Uh, when I was going to seminary out in Portland, uh, the seminary was on Hawthorne Street and there was all these ethnic restaurants there. You could get great spicy food. There was a Thai restaurant that I absolutely loved. Um, but I would go in there all the time and I would always try to ramp it, you know, because I order, you know, they give you the five levels of spicy and I'd always order a level five, but it was just like, yeah, it's kind of spicy, but not all that spicy. And so I'd keep trying to ask them, would you, would you bump it up a little bit, bump it up a little bit? Well, finally, one day I went in there and I was a little bit bold and I just said, I just want to ask you to make it as spicy as you can make it. Don't worry about ruining it. It'll be fine. I can handle it. Uh, he went in and Not too long after that, he came out, and I knew I was in trouble because he had a big smile on his face. And if that didn't tip me off that I was in trouble, uh, while he was sitting the food down in front of me, I noticed that there were three cooks that came out from the kitchen, and they stood behind the counter, and they were like this, with big smiles on their face. It was melt your face hot. I just did everything I could to eat it because I was not gonna back down. I told him I could do it and I'm gonna do it. And it was that kind of hot, like, like as you're eating it, you can tell exactly like where in your system that food was because it was just burning everywhere. I walked out of that restaurant after gallons and gallons of water, it felt like, and I said to myself, you are an idiot. You are such a fool. Fools are a dime a dozen. You see them everywhere. You can spot them everywhere in this world. Sometimes we are them. But who are the wise among you? Who is it that has genuine wisdom? That's what James wants to talk to us about today. This section, James asks that rhetorical question, starting in James 3.13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Because here's what James wants us to do. First of all, he wants us to think about ourselves. Are we wise? Can we hold our life up to his definition of wisdom and evaluate ourselves? But also start to look around the world around you. Because you want to identify with, you want your life to be around other people that are wise. When when the wheels come off in your life, who do you want to be around? 
Who do you want getting their arm around you in life? You don't want a fool. You want someone who is wise. When we're around our church here thinking about who should be leaders around here, we want to think about who is it that is wise. We want to discern what is God's definition of wisdom. And that's what James is going to talk to us about today. And throughout this series, we've talked about and we've titled this series, A Faith That Works. And so what James is going to tell us is, is that a person who is wise, it's going to be lived out in their life. You're going to see it in how they live. There's going to be fruit. It's going to be a faith that works. But he's going to tell us a little bit more than that. James 3, 13. Let's read the whole verse. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds or works. Listen to this. Done in humility that comes from wisdom. Here's the big idea for James. If you want to find wisdom in someone, he says this is what it's going to be hitched to. It is going to be hitched to humility. Wisdom and humility go hand in hand. The true wisdom that God is talking about here comes with humility. It's not just about good things that we do in our life, but those good things are driven by a heart that has a proper humility before God and before other people. And so here's what James is going to do. He's going to talk about two different kinds of wisdom. On the one hand, he's going to talk about a true wisdom that has its source in God, but he's also going to talk about a false wisdom wisdom that has his that has its source in the things of earth and there's a big difference between the two first thing that we're going to look at is that true wisdom looks upward if we're going to find the kind of wisdom that James is talking about here it's going to be because we look upward to God himself at the very end of this section in 317 James says this but the wisdom that comes from heaven that comes from heaven, where God is, where God's perspective reigns. That's the kind of wisdom that we are looking for. And when we look upward, the kind of wisdom that is gonna come to us is one that has a proper view of God and a proper view of God's view on the world, seeing the world in light of eternity. When James is talking about this kind of wisdom, he's actually echoing some of the themes that we get from the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. The whole genre that Proverbs is a part of is called wisdom literature. And here's the keynote. The keynote for Proverbs says this. This is where wisdom starts. Proverbs 9.10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What the writer of Proverbs is telling us, what Solomon is telling us, is that if we want to find wisdom in this world, it's going to be found by looking up. The foundation, the starting point for the kind of wisdom that James is talking about here comes from God himself, comes from a knowledge of him. I mean, you can listen to all the podcasts in the world. You can listen to everything that's out there, all the self-help books that are there. But what James is saying what Proverbs is saying is that if your foundation, what you're building that on is not the fear of God, knowledge of the Holy One, then you're building on the wrong foundation. How do we build on the fear of the Lord? Well, what is the fear of the Lord? 
What does it mean for us? If that's where it all starts, what does it mean for us to fear God? I think probably the best definition around the fear of God would be this. It's a reverence or an awe that we experience in God's presence because of his greatness. That's what it means to fear God. There's a reverence or an awe that we experience because of his immense greatness. So if we're gonna develop that kind of a fear of God, we've got to begin by seeing God for who he actually is. Our view of God needs to be who God actually is. And when I say who God actually is, I'm talking about God as he has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. Not who you think God might be like. I hear people say sometimes like, well, I kind of imagine that God's like, and then it's just kind of their projection of what they think God is. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. That is who we need to deal with. That is the beginning of wisdom. And it's when our spirits, when our hearts and our minds start to be captured by that kind of greatness of who God is, that we actually start to understand the magnitude of his power, his might, his majesty, his glory, his holiness, that it actually starts to change the way we live. Here's what's true, I believe, of people that are beginning to grow in what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. They're gonna experience a continual awareness of him. As you walk through life, step by step, moment by moment, there's gonna be an awakening, a belief and an understanding that God is here. He sees me. He sees everything that's going on around me. And our response to his presence would be reverence. We would bow our hearts and our lives before him, and the outflow of that would be that there would be a sincere commitment to want to obey him because we believe that he is God and because he is that great, he has the right and the authority to dictate our lives, to show us how to live. We put our lives in his hands. There are pictures that we see in the Bible that show us what does it look like for someone to fear the Lord. One of my favorites comes from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah chapter six. And Isaiah shows up at the temple. I don't know exactly what he was expecting to be there when he showed up that day, but God showed up in his manifest presence, in his power. And it says the train of his robe began to fill the temple. It began to fill up with smoke. The doorposts of the temple began to shake. But you know what else shook in that moment? Isaiah, Isaiah's life shook in the presence of God. I mean, his response to seeing God wasn't like, hey, hey, yo, Jehovah, what up? There was humility, humility before God. He dropped to the ground and said, woe is me. I am a sinful man. I have sinful lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. But my eyes now have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then his response 
at the end of that section as he holds his life up to the Lord Almighty and says, here I am, send me. That response of obedience, God, whatever you want, you're the king, I am not. I follow you. That's a picture of the fear of the Lord. Now, some of you might be thinking like, Bob, that's, that, that's like the Old Testament. That's the, the temple. Jesus is so different than that. Not really. You see examples in the life and ministry of Jesus when his glory begins to be witnessed by the people around him and it brings them to a great place of humility before a holy God. One of my favorites, Luke chapter five, when Jesus is just beginning to call the disciples, Peter and the boys out in the boat fishing, hadn't caught anything all night. Jesus says, why don't you cast your net to the other side of the boat? And Peter's like, come on, we've been fishing all night, but he does it. Miraculous catch of fish. Peter's no dummy. He's starting to realize this isn't just any rabbi. It's like the curtain of who Jesus is begins to open up for Peter. And Peter's response, just like Isaiah's, he drops to the ground. He puts his hand on Jesus' knees and says, go away from me. I am a sinful man. Humble. Humble in the presence of greatness. And Peter's response, same as Isaiah's. He holds up his life and he just says, it belongs to you. He drops his nets. They all drop their nets and they followed Jesus. You will know that you fear God. When you see him, you realize he's there. You revere him for who he is. And there's this ongoing desire to want to obey him in anything that he asks you to do. Because when he is the point, you are not the point. He is the center of all things. But this true wisdom that looks up, it doesn't just look up at the grandeur of God. It actually begins to look down as well at our life. When we look up to God, we look at our life and we see our life in the same way that God sees our life. You see, sometimes when you think about your life, you probably oftentimes just think about it from the day that you're born until the day that you die. That's your life. But God, that's not how he sees your life. God is outside of time. He sees all of your life and he sees all of eternity. And your life is just a tiny little speck on an infinite line of eternity. But God is saying, don't live your life just for that tiny little time. You've got to think about your life in the bigger picture. Because there will be a day when you do take your last breath. And when you take your last breath, you will stand before God. You will give an account for your life. And what the wisdom that James is talking about is what's gonna matter to you on that day? Is it the things that matter to you now? When you're standing there before him, giving an account for how you've invested your time, how you've invested your talents, how you've invested your treasures, what's gonna matter on that day? I bet for some of us, and I know for me, there are things that I'm investing my life in that seem so important right now that if I were just to step back and imagine what's gonna matter on that day, I'd be like, why do I even care about those things? It is not gonna matter. 
But James would say, even take it a step further. Not just think about the end of your life. Think about 10,000 years from now. 10,000 years from now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are spending the rest of eternity with him in his completed kingdom. What's gonna matter then? What James is telling us is what matters then, what you know will be the most important things then, need to matter the most now. That we would let go of some things in this life that we know aren't gonna matter for all of eternity. We're willing to let go because we have a wisdom that comes from humility that this life is short. One of my favorite quotes from a missionary, Jim Elliott, he had so many things going for him, but he chose to leave everything that he had in this country to go be a missionary to South America. And so many people just said, how foolish. You have so much here for you. But I love what Jim Elliott wrote in his journal. He says, it's not foolish. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's what James is talking about. Are we willing to let go of the things of this life that aren't gonna matter? Because we have a wisdom that comes from heaven that sees life in light of all of eternity. That's the kind of wisdom that James is talking about that comes from heaven. But he said there's also, there's a false wisdom that comes from this earth. And it's not sourced in humility. It's actually sourced in pride. The second point is false wisdom looks inward. When we say inward, we're talking about focusing on self in complete contrast to humility. Here's what James says, verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny it. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. The word that James is talking about, where this false wisdom is sourced, is the simple word pride. Pride. It is un, it is earthly unspiritual, and demonic. James uses the word demonic. And that, like, it feel like it may be just a little bit over the top. It's like, come on, James. Like, all of us, all of us are a little bit selfish. Every one of us has that. Every one of us has some pride going on in our life. Isn't it a little over the top, James, to call that demonic? I think James would say, No. It is that important to call it what it is. And I think James would take us back to the very beginning, even before the beginning. What is it that caused Satan to become Satan? Pride. One of the most magnificent of all created beings had so much going for him, but he wanted to be God. It was pride. Pride made Satan into Satan. And here's what Satan will do. He understands that that same thing that was in him is also in you. We have a propensity toward pride. We want to make all this, everything about us. We want to turn inward. You do you. 
That's the, the famous words of our culture. You do you. But it's sourced in pride. We are the center. And the same, that's where he started from the very beginning in the temptation with Eve way, way back in the garden. As he was talking with her, her he just said, you know, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be wise like him. Playing to her pride, wanting to be the center. And she took what was desirable for gaining wisdom and she ate it and everything has gone south. Satan, pride, they want us to turn inward on ourselves to make everything about us. How do I advance me? How do I promote me? What is in it for me? What is best for me? And James is saying that when that becomes our focus, the outflow of that is all kinds of disorder and dysfunction and evil in all of our relationships. Here's the reason. Here's the reason that pride is so deadly to our relationships with one another. Pride in its essence is competitive. Like for me to have something, I can't just be content with it Because if I'm prideful, it means that I don't just want what I have. I want more than what you have. It's competitive and there's comparison. It makes me want to be above, to have more than other people. And James is saying wisdom that comes from above looks up and you can't have that kind of wisdom if you're constantly looking down on people, being competitive and comparing. Here's the thought. When you have things going on in your heart and your mind, whether they're verbalized, whether anybody knows about them. If you find yourself becoming competitive with people, you find yourself comparing yourself to other people. There need to be like alarm bells going off in your mind because James would say, what's starting to happen is that the roots of pride are going down into your heart. That's why he would say, it's demonic. We've got to deal with it. James would say, God does not want to hurt your pride. He wants to kill it. He wants to kill your pride because he knows that your pride is killing you and it's killing your relationships with other people. That's why when Brian teaches next week, the next section when James starts to talk about the solution to this, he actually says out loud in scripture, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That sets me back on my heels, friends. Thinking about when I'm prideful, when I'm competitive, when I'm comparing, I'm actually standing against God. I don't want to stand against God. But he says he gives grace to the humble. He lifts up those who are humble, who don't make it about them, but make it about others. God doesn't want to hurt your pride. He wants to kill it. And lastly, James gives us a picture, an understanding of what the true wisdom that is sourced in humility looks like. And here's what he's going to tell us. He's like, you're going to see a wise person in their relationships because there's going to be humility in their relationships. Look around at your life. Look around at the lives of others. If there's not humility in relationships, they're not wise. Here's what James describes in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, meaning it's sourced in God, is first of all pure, then 
peace-loving? Is there peace in relationships? Considerate. Do we actually think about other people more than we think about ourselves? Even submissive, James says. It's not just being on par with it, but are we willing to submit our lives to other people, to place ourselves underneath them? It's a life that is full of mercy and good fruit, that is impartial. It sees everybody as equally deserving of God's love. Is it sincere? Meaning, is it the same on the inside as it is on the outside? Is that how our relationships are? Are we transparent with who we are? Then James says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If you want to find a wise person, you're going to find someone who's humble and you're going to see it in their relationships. And here's what I've learned in my life. Humility can change the atmosphere of a relationship instantly. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving into the roundabout here at Baxter and Love. We've got this new roundabout over the last year or so. And so uh, I've had to learn how to navigate roundabouts. And there's a learning curve there a little bit. You know, you got to try to figure out, you know, what's the timing of it about how, you know, how do I get either in front of them or behind them? Uh, I've been working on it. I've been working on it. Well, a couple of weeks ago, the roads were horrible. And so I, I, I don't have that so much in my mind, but I'm watching the car that's coming and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I can get in front of them. So I start to gas it a little bit. And then not long after that, I realize, oh yeah, there's no way I'm gonna get out in front of them. I've got to slow down. But as I start tapping my brakes, not great tires, nothing is happening. So I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going right out into this car. My only option was to take off and go into the kind of the side of the road, humbly take the side of the road. And as I'm looking, I can see that this person, you can just see through the windshield, they're angry. And, and when I see that anger in them, what starts to well up in me is like, come on, give me a break. Like you never make a mistake driving. Like I want to power up. I want to be prideful with them. But I've learned something about driving. Maybe it's because I'm not a great driver. But one thing that I've learned is that when you make a mistake, and I actually, I think this should be in all driver's ed classes everywhere. This is what you do. This is free. This is what you do. This is gonna lower road rage all over Bozeman. When you are in the wrong, this is your move. You do this. And then with your mouth as big as you can, you just say, sorry. It is amazing. Because I was watching this guy come around and he was angry. I could just see it. I knew that he was probably gonna give me a gesture to let me know that I'm the number one roundabout driver in all of Bozeman. That's what he's gonna say to me. But as he came around that corner and I just went like this, just humbly said, I'm sorry. Instantly, he softened. He actually kind of chuckled and he just kind of waved at me and went on. Humility, just a little bit of humility can change the environment of a relationship instantly. Now you might be thinking, Bob, that is the stupidest example ever. You don't even have a relationship with that guy. You're right. It might be a silly example, but the principle is true. What if, what if the relationships that you have in your life, what if you continually showed humility? What would your dating relationships look like? Your friendships? What would a marriage look like? 
if everyone had that kind of posture, that we are humble before one another? What would a workplace be like if bosses were humble, employees were humble? What would churches be like if we all had a posture of humility toward one another? It would change the environment of those relationships. And here's what we need to understand. This is how God intended this world to work. That that's how we would relate to one another in the context of humility. You know how I know? Because that's how God was when he came here in the person of Jesus Christ to show us how to live. He lived a humble life. That's even how he described himself. I am gentle and humble of heart. Jesus has no reason to be humble. He is God. But yet, he was humble, even to the most marginalized of people that he engaged with. He was humble. He was the one who washed the feet of his disciples, the task of the lowest slave. He was the one that when he was telling his disciples that wanted to be great, yes, be great, but here's how you be great. This is what greatness is. Become the least. Humbly take the role of a servant. That's how the world is intended to work because that's how Jesus lived. Does God want you to be great? Does Jesus want you to be great? Yes. Does he want you to be the best version of you? Yes. But he would tell you, the best version of you is not someone who makes this life about you. It's about other people. It's about humbly living our life before God and humbly living our life before people. It's how the world was made to work. And it's not just Christians that are thinking about this. One of my favorite business books is a book by Jim Collins called Good to Great. And in this book, Jim does this study around 11 companies that in equal environments with other companies, they went from being a good company to being a great company. And what he meant by, what it, the, like how he measured that was going from good to great meant that you over three times the performance of another company over a 15-year period, good to great. But here's what I want you to understand. Here was part of his findings, one of the most keynote factors that all of these good to great companies had is they had what he called level five leadership. The CEO of these companies were what he called level five leaders. And there were two characteristics of this kind of leader. One was a steely determination. They were absolutely determined. But the second one was an attitude of humility. An attitude of humility. Here's what Colin said. He said, we were surprised, shocked, really, to discover the type of leadership required for turning a good company into a great one. Compared to the high-profile leaders with big personalities who make headlines and become celebrities, the good-to-great leaders seem to have come from Mars. Self-effacing, quiet, reserved, even shy. These leaders are a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. You know why they discovered that? All they did was discover how Jesus intended this world to work. Good to great companies 
Attitude of humility. Good to great people. Attitude of humility. If you want to be great, become the least. Okay, here's the deal. Where are you? Where am I? Are we proud? Are we humble people? C.S. Lewis would say, if your gut response to that question is that you're not proud, the problem is way greater than you even think. Are you proud or are you humble? How would you know? I wanna get a little bit more specific and a little bit more granular. I wanna make some contrast between what I believe are proud people versus humble people. Proud people are this. They have a critical fault-finding spirit. They look at everyone else's faults with a microscope and they look at their own fault with a telescope. But humble people, they're compassionate. They can forgive much because they are deeply aware of how much they have been forgiven. Proud people, they have to prove that they are right. But humble people, they're willing to yield the right to be right. Proud people, they desire to be a success at any cost. Humble people, they're motivated to be simply faithful and to help other people become a success. Proud people, they've got a drive to be noticed, to be recognized, to be appreciated. But humble people, they have a sense of their own unworthiness. They're thrilled that God would choose to use them in any way at all. Proud people are wounded when others are promoted and they're overlooked. Humble people, they're eager for others to get the credit and they rejoice when others are lifted up. Proud people feel very confident in how much they know. Humble people are deeply, deeply aware of how much they have to learn. Proud people, they're quick to blame others. Humble people, they take personal responsibility and they can see, they can see where they were wrong in a situation. Proud people, they're unapproachable and defensive when they're criticized. Humble people, they receive criticism with an open and receptive spirit. Proud people, they're concerned with being respectable, concerned about what other people think, and they work to protect their own image and reputation. But humble people, they're concerned more than anything with just being real. What matters to them is not what other people think about them, but what God knows about them. They're willing to die to their own reputation. Proud people, they find it difficult to share their spiritual need with other people. Humble people are willing to be open and transparent with others as God directs. Proud people, they want to be sure that no one finds out when they sinned. Their instinct is to want to cover up. Humble people, they don't care who knows or finds out. They're willing to be exposed because they know that before a holy God that deeply loves them, they have nothing to lose. Proud people, they're concerned with the external consequences of their sin. But humble people, they're concerned with the root cause of their sin. They're willing to look deeply at their heart. Proud people, they compare themselves to others and they feel worthy of honor 
But humble people, they compare themselves to the holiness of God and they feel a desperate, desperate need for his mercy. Are we proud or are we humble? God doesn't want to hurt your pride. He wants to kill it because it is killing you. It is killing you and your relationships with him and your relationships with other people. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I gotta tell you, this has been a challenging week for me, getting ready to preach this sermon. Because I, I will never, I promise you, I will never stand up in front of you and talk about things that I'm not trying to live out in my own life. But just giving God the opportunity to shine the searchlight, the spotlight of his truth and the, the depths of my heart and to see what was in there. At times this week, it just felt overwhelming. I just thought, well, how am I gonna stand up in front of people and talk about this? How am I gonna do it? I feel so unworthy. But then God said this, you've gotta share with them that the only way that we can stand in the midst of thinking about are we proud or humble, is to reach out and grab the hand of the most humble person that ever lived, Jesus Christ himself. And I'm gonna close with this. I just wanna read the words of Apostle, the Apostle Paul from Philippians chapter two, because he just unpacks this about how it was Christ's humility that brought him to this earth for us so that we can have a relationship with him that lasts forever. It's why this is how the world works. Here's what Paul said. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as in Christ Jesus. That's why we grab his hand, because this was his mindset, who being in very nature God, he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our only hope of being humble people, having the kind of wisdom and humility that James is talking about here is if we grab the hand of the most humble person that ever lived. And by his grace, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing his life to be lived through us, it's our only hope. Bow your knee to him, grab his hand today, follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your tenderness and your mercy. In my life, as you pointed out over and over again this week, places of pride. 
Thank you for your kindness in that. I pray for my friends that are here, listening to the sound of my voice online, wherever it is. Jesus, would you give them the same mercy? God, would you show them where there are places of pride, roots of pride in their heart and their life that are killing them and killing their relationships with others? Jesus, we need you. We can't do this on our own. We trust you to do it for us. And we know you will because it was your humility that came to this earth and in humility died on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. We say thank you today, Jesus. And it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.